0: citizens of heaven but we're citizens of this nation and we just want to see God have his way praise God all right if you will uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84 Who I just feel the Lord's presence here this morning he's so good he's so good And you know, um, I, it's been a couple weeks since I shared, but in October, I gave two messages. The first was on uh, his house, his order, and uh, being a house of, what it means to be a house of prayer for all nations. House of prayer for all nations. First, it's his house. It's his, his authority. It's for prayer. That's his priority. Come on. And for all nations, that's his acceptance. That's who we serve. He's a God who, who makes a way. For every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Then later, I preached on wel- welcoming Jesus, the woman, the sinner, who came into Simon the Pharisee's home and wept at the feet of Jesus. And we contrasted, we looked at her welcoming of Jesus versus Simon's and what it means to really welcome Jesus. I believe the Lord's doing a movement in this house. I mean, he's beginning to move in our hearts and... Um, What I want to speak to you this morning is what it means to be a house of worship, because uh, this is something that's been so near and dear to our hearts since this church was birthed. Worship's at the heart of God. How many know worship's the one thing you're going to do for eternity? Amen? Amen? So if we have long worship services, sorry, sorry, not sorry. We're just trying to prepare you for heaven. Amen? Amen? Sorry, not sorry. All right. Um, that's our heart. But, uh, you know, one of the things uh, as a church, we have these values that we came up with, seven values. And one of them is to is that worship, worship as a lifestyle. Not just something that we do on a Sunday morning when we're gifted with talented musicians and singers. And thank God for them. Amen. Thank God that they're here to help us get into the presence of the Lord. But, you know, we need to make a practice of the presence of God in our lives. It needs to be something we do day in and day out, each and every day, to seek Him. And so, I was thinking about this, and the first verse in Psalm 84 says, For the choir director on Giddeth, a, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. And... I was thinking about how we, how we can long to be with the one we love. Long to be with the one we love. You know, if um, those who don't know, my wife and I, our, our relationship started with a long-distance blind date in San Francisco area. Uh, de- thanks to a dear friend who introduced us. But uh, we, we had a long-distance dating relationship, and we were, um, you know, my friend... Uh, My friend Jeannie was down there working, and she had been part of our church. She was like an aunt to me, and she calls me up one day, and she says, Hey, I think you need to come down for a visit to the San Francisco area. And I said, Why? (laughs) Because I've got someone you need to meet, okay? And uh, so I said, You know, I pray about it, and I I felt the Lord say, Yes, go. And um, I I had been praying a long time for a wife and preparing to be a husband, single man, that's what you do. You prepare to be a husband. Come on, spend these time, this time in the the this season in your life to prepare to be a husband, and so that's that's what the Lord had been working on me. It took a while to get there, so I, I didn't get married till I was thirty. It, but you don't need to wait that long. Um, but I met I met Carolyn, and it was love at first sight. And we, you know, our, our, we we started to have conversations over the phone, and that's how we conversed. And we were it was two thousand you know 2003 2005 so the first ins, you know miss uh, some someone remember uh microsoft uh instant messenger right and before we had facetime and all these things we had today we had the first video video messenger and so that's how her and I would communicate. I'd be on the phone and we'd have the video going. and It was delayed. It was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit glitchy. But that's how we were like, oh, I miss you. You know, long conversations, right? But then we would plan the visits with each other. And it would be like countdown to when we get to see one another again in person. Because how many know it's not the same to just be on the phone or be on instant messenger? You want to be in person. Something about being in the presence of this person. So our hearts would long, we would anticipate the next chance to be with each other in person. This longing of our hearts. And so we would plan trips, we would plan these times together. And when we look at Psalm 84, it's a similar thing. It's the psalmist crying out for the next opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. To be in the presence of the Lord. And so how many know this longing starts with adoration? See, when you love somebody, then you want to be with them, right? I don't long to be with somebody who I'm not in love with, but this love that we have for Jesus puts in our hearts something that makes us long to be not just in his presence, but in his presence with his people. I thought you'd get excited about that. In his presence with his people, amen? But as we look at this psalm, Psalm 84, it's written by the sons of Corinth, and I as I was studying this, this, this was just such a cool story of the sons of Korah. It's such a story of God's redemption. And I want to share that with you this morning. Um, you know, they wrote 11 different Psalms. And as you look at them, they are, they, are, they are their lineage goes back to Korah in the Old Testament. And he did not have a good record, right? And, and, and he led a rebellion against Moses and, and God, and he was... He, in one of the first church splits, yeah. in, in Exodus and uh, Numbers, it's kind of that that is uh, told. But being upset, he was upset that they were not chosen to carry out the duties of the priesthood as Aaron and his sons were appointed to do. They basically had they basically had set up and tear down duty. Amen. Some of our youth team—they're not here this morning, but they would be. We used to like have to set up and tear down the sanctuary every Wednesday night. Amen. But. Privilege for them to do that with the tabernacle but that that wasn't good enough they were jealous there was an envy of what what the sons of Aaron had to to take care of the duties of the holy place and so there was this uprising this rebellion and Moses rebukes Korah and his followers for their self-seeking gathering themselves against the Lord but before he did that I love Moses's heart as soon as they came with accusations against him, he, the Bible says that he got on his, he didn't say a word, he got on his face before the Lord. He got on his face before the Lord. Before he spoke a word, he, he, he got on his face. And that's why the Bible says about Moses that he was the meekest man alive. How do you lead tw- two million whiners through the desert, right? You got to be meek. And you have to be trusting in the Lord. And so he, he has this rebellion, this uprising, and he seeks the Lord, and he rebukes them after seeking the Lord. And, and uh, he says, man, hey, we're going to put this to a test. The Lord's going to reveal who is really holy and set apart to him. And the next day at the tabernacle, the earth, you know, as they came forward, I'll, I'll make a long story short, but as they came forward, the earth opened and swallowed up Korah, two other rebels named Dathan and Ab- Abiram, and their families. And then fire fell from heaven consuming the other 250 rebels. That was quite a moment. That's a different kind of tent meeting. I'm like, what happened at church today? Well, the fire fell. We're always praying for the fire to fall. That's a little different, right? Okay. Um, But while Korah and those who followed him were swollen up, the Bible later says... Numbers 26, this is amazing. It says, the sons of Korah, however, did not die. They were part of that new generation who, along with Joshua and Caleb, would cross over into the promised land and see the fulfillment of God's promises in their generation. Isn't that awesome? And then later on, 18 generations later, in 1 Chronicles 19, we see the sons of Korah carrying out the duties over the work of God of the service keepers of the threshold of the tent and their fathers had been over the camp of the Lord keepers of the entrance they are then selected to be gatekeepers in the temple as well as performing various other duties so this is these are the authors of this psalm and it's coming from them and beyond their service in the temple they were also singers who ended up with a legacy of writing these 11 psalms But we see through these psalms a different attitude, an attitude of gratitude, of humility, of praise, of worship to our God. That's quite a contrast to their malcontent father from whom they descended. But isn't it amazing that God redeems this line and uses them to bring these praises and this encouragement to us this morning? He's a redemptive God. So I don't know maybe what your family heritage is, crazy uncles, whatever it may be. God can still redeem you and use you for his purpose in his generation. Come on. Man, that's good. But these sons show the redemptive work of the Lord. He can redeem a people for his praise, for his purpose. He had to judge their father to avoid his plans being thwarted, but God still had mercy on, their, on his sons. Spurgeon calls this psalm the pearl of all psalms, a sweet psalm of peace. The psalmist begins with this deep appreciation for the places where God dwells. You know, I've been to many dwelling places, but the place where God dwells is the greatest. And he says, How lovely. He can't, it's beyond expression. He said, How lovely are your dwelling places, God. And of course, he's speaking of the temple, but we in this this dispensation of grace, come on, have his presence with us always. He can dwell with us. His dwelling places are lovely. But here's the question. Is it home to you? Is it home to you? Verse 2 says, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And some versions will say, My heart and flesh cry out to the living God. Whether it's for joy or whether it's a pain of cry, it's a and it's an intensity. I want you to see the intensity of this cry this morning. Have you ever been gone from home for a long time and you've experienced homesickness? There's no place like home. There's no place to to come home. But it's not just the place. It's the people in the place. It's the people in the place that we long for. And and so you you can feel in this psalm this crying out for, I want to get back to the courts of the Lord. I want to get back to my true home. That place where God's presence is. Regardless of being a tent, being a beautiful, elaborate temple, or just where God's people are dwelling in worship to him, it's beautiful, not because of the characteristics of the place, but because he dwells there. And because his people are there. The sons of Korah love the house of God because they love the God of the house. The sons of Korah love the house of God because they love the God of the house. I love it. Marcus, we were I was preaching a couple, I don't know, September or something, and I mentioned this losing the house idea where the Holy Spirit comes in. So he came in and had a t-shirt and said, press in, and on the back it says, lose lose the house. But we're losing it to him. It's his house in the first place. We just, we just uh we get to come and be in his house. But being in the house of worship starts with becoming, number one, a people who long for his presence. A people who long for his presence. I want to share three things this morning with us. And I believe it's part of the vision and of what God wants to do in this season that we're in. It's really an increased longing in our hearts for him. You know, it's the expression when it says his soul long, it's the expression, the effect of strong emotion to be pale, faint, or weak. The condition of the soul apart from him, isn't that true? That's how we are. Our soul gets weak, it gets starved, of his, starved without the nourishment and the strengthening that comes in his presence, and even as the Lord's been speaking this morning, that's been the word of the Lord, strength and refreshing in his presence, but that feeling of exhaustion when we come to that place of being away from his presence. Sons of Korah also wrote Psalm 42, and in verse 2, they say, My soul thirsts, somebody say, thirsts, for God, for the living God. The other, only other place in the Psalms where they use that term, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, there's this anticipation of being in his presence. When can I come and be before Him? When's the next time? You know we can live if we're not careful in a dehydrated Christianity. You, you know, have you ever seen that show? My wife and I love watching that show. I shouldn't be alive. Right Where these people live and the, there's these survival situations and they almost always made a bad decision and ended up somewhere they shouldn't be. They didn't call somebody. They didn't notify somebody. Nobody knows where they're at. And they're in, they're in the middle of the desert. They have no water. right? No, whatever it may be. I was watching one the other day and this guy was out to sea on a raft by himself in the middle of the ocean, hundreds of miles from land. Man, tough. No water. Survival situation. But sometimes... As Christians, we can wait till we get there before we thirst. You see, dehydration takes over and there's, there's medical conditions that start to take place in your body. And spiritually, you can suffer when we have not drank of the fountain of living water, which is Jesus. psalmist says, I thirst for you. In Psalm 63, in a dry and weary land, I thirst for you. Don't wait until you're in survival mode. Let God cause this thirst to rise up in your heart. I know this, and everybody in my life knows this. If there's a day where I miss my quality time with the Lord, it's not the same. That day is off for me. My wife's like, go go spend some time with Jesus. Because my soul is dehydrated. It needs to drink of Him. I need to be in His presence. When can I come before you, Lord? People who long for His presence. You know, my wife loves watching the videos of, you've seen these on, on social media and sometimes on YouTube, they will show the videos of the veterans who come home from being deployed and they surprise their families. It's always amazing, right? And you know what the stress must be on some of these young families as their husbands or wives are out deployed and fighting and there's risk to their lives and they don't know what's going to happen and they live with this over them, right? And then all of a sudden they come and they get to see them in person and this excitement, this joy that overtakes them. I think that God wants some kids like that who get excited, oh, Jesus, When can I appear before him? You know, the psalmists were only privileged to go to the house of God to worship a couple times a year. They look forward to this. And I want to say this morning, sometimes if the shoe fits, it fits. I love you. But sometimes we take for granted the privilege we have to go to the house of the Lord. I can remember the beginning of the pandemic. Come on. When we couldn't meet in person. And I remember that first time we came together. And we were like, we had all these arrows all over this place, which ways you could walk and stuff. And, and uh, we said, hey, social distance. And people were like, and they just run and hug each other. We're like, okay, I forget it. We last about, we broke the co- county ordinances in about two minutes of being here. People were like, I missed you. I mean, come on. We, we appreciated that, that joy, that strength, that refreshing that comes to be in the presence of the Lord with his people. We can't take it for granted. Man, I wonder what would happen if we walked into this place with that anticipation this psalmist had. Man, God responds to hunger. He responds to thirst. He comes when we have that in our hearts. I hope I stir something up this morning in each of you. You know, but two things happen in that. There was those who missed being together and were just so excited and there was coming back. And then there were some who got used to this new habit. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 says, Don't forsake the gathering of the saints together, as is the habit of some. As As the day approaches, but it says, as is the habit of some. It became a habit. And if you're not careful being out of the house and being away from God's people, it can become a habit. It becomes a new habit that's not so good, and you, you get dehydrated and, and weakened in your faith. And that's not to condemn anyone. I, that's just, I'm here to encourage you, to strengthen you, because, man, there's something that happens when we come, and we are strengthened in his presence. Not only do you need it, but we need you. Because the Bible says that you can be, encourage one another, provoke one another to good works. Amen to provoke one another. You've got something to give. I don't know, maybe you didn't come here thinking that this morning, but if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have something to give. Amen. That's why I love these home groups. You get an opportunity to come together and share with each other, and that, those gifts come out, man. Join a home group if they're open, or give us a house when you need more houses. Um, he says, look, look at this verse in Psalm 90. We need to recognize that his presence is our home. Did you get that? You ever set your GPS in your Google Maps or in your car and you're like, and it starts to learn where you go very often. I mean, these things are a little too smart, kind of scary smart. Oh, you go here a lot. This must be home. But, you know, you just type in home and it just figures out your address. But, you see, my home is to be in his presence. That's my true home. See, this is just an earthly, temporary thing going on right now, but my true home is in, with him in his presence for eternity. So set your GPS. That's the God-positioning system to be where he wants you to be. Psalm 90, verse 1 says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, You have, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. See, they were moving around all the time, following the fire by night and a cloud by day. They were led by the Lord. But he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He's our dwelling place. Is there a longing? Is there a desire in you for him, for the living God? He says, my heart and my flesh cry out, sing out. You see, we don't come to the house of the Lord for entertainment. We don't come to the house of the Lord for programs. We don't come to the Lord house of the Lord for social benefits, come on, even though it's good to be with each other. We come to the house of the Lord for Him. He says, my house, I'm crying out for the courts of the Lord, for the living God to be with Him. I love being with you, but I love being with Him. More, sorry. There's a deep hunger for Him. That's what this word kind of imply is implying. There, in the Hebrew word for cry, has this picture of a child who cries out when it is hungry. Come on, moms, they clench, they no, they scream, they just they, sometimes. They, my, my son used to lose his breath, be like, "Breathe, child." So angry, I'm hungry. And then when he became an infant, it was like clockwork at four o'clock every day, he would. We would hear this crying and screaming, and it was my son hungry at my, my wife's feet while she's frantically trying to make dinner. Come on. He, he was, there was that hangry moment. Come on. This deep hunger, and we called it a hangry meltdown, but you know we don't want meltdowns here, but come on, we could use some hunger. Lord, I am hungry for you. I'm crying out with our whole being. That's what he says, with my heart and my flesh cry out. That's my whole being. Everything I am, I'm crying out to you. Then we go on in verse 3 and 4. Psalm 84 says, The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Just pause on that, because that's what that word means. Think about it. The bird, also referred to as as the sparrow, is known for being small and insignificant. The psalmist sees that they would build these nests around the temple, and it was okay with the priests and those who tended to the temple but they were small and insignificant, yet in that God's house they found a home. Guess what? God has a place for us insignificant people in His house. And the psalmist looked at it, even the bird has a home. I mean, come on. I want to be. I want to dwell in this place. Look at the priests and those who serve. They have this privilege of constantly being in His house, and they are ever praising Him. But the swallow was known for its... For being frantic and restless, and yet in God's house it found rest. Anyone ever feel like that? You're restless, you're all over the place, but you see, you come into the presence of the Lord and His peace comes upon us, amen? We find rest in His presence. He desired to make a home in God's house. It expresses this desire to not just visit God's presence, but to make it the place where we stay, where we dwell. The writer was only privileged to go to the house of the Lord on rare occasions, but now how great would it be to worship him all the time? Our longing for God's presence to worship and praise him leads to to a desire to dwell there. So secondly, we're a people who dwell in his presence. A people who dwell in his presence. And I, I want you to look at the cry of David's heart in three different psalms he uses this language he says in psalm 23 6 the psalm of the great shepherd lord is our shepherd we shall not want what a, what an amazing psalm but in verse 6 he says surely good goodness and loving kindness will follow me all somebody say all All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. That was his heart. I want to be where he is forever. And then Psalm 26, 8. Lord, I have, I love. Somebody say, I love. love. The habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And then in Psalm 27.4, he says, one thing. You see, sometimes we have too many things. One thing. What if we just simplified a little bit, right? So many things keep me from the one thing. So many things keep me from the one thing. Anyone feel like that sometimes? But I have asked from the Lord that I may I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life there it is again and what what is he doing there he's beholding the beauty of the Lord and to meditate and you see In your times with the Lord, whether it's here or whether it's at home or whether it's in your car in your commute or whether it's while you're washing dishes, come on, while you're doing some laundry, you can be meditating on His beauty, keeping those thoughts of Him before you. In the front of your mind, the key to dwelling in His presence. He says they were ever praising Him, not stopping. And you see, we need to cultivate in our lives a, a, a life of praise, a life of praise, you know, because sometimes somebody, I don't know who was praying this earlier, but they're praying about how sometimes we just get into a mode of just complaining. We can talk about what is not, but how many know if you will turn that to praise, and you'll talk about who he is, and you'll magnify his character, who he is. I'm telling you what, when we put our eyes on him and we magnify him, we make the problems and everything else in our life a little bit smaller and insignificant in light of who he is. See, praise exalts him, but it also does something for us because our eyes go up. And let me tell you what, praise annoys the devil. Praise is a way of warfare. When I begin to praise, the devil has to flee. It causes some confusion in his camp. It causes the enemy's camp to tremble. They said the voice and the shout of the righteous and the tents of the righteous makes something happen in the enemy's camp. They start to fear and tremble. See, it's not just prayer, but it's praise. When I begin to praise and exalt Him, something happens in me. Something happens in Him. He's moved by praise because the Bible says He comes and inhabits the praises of His people. He comes and sits in the praises of His people. It does something for Him. It does something for me. And it does something to the enemy. A life of praise. Ever praising Him. Dwelling in His presence. Psalm 65, 4 says, How blessed, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. Uh, you gotta see the significance of this because, see, only a few were chosen to do this. It was by virtue of birthright to be a priest in the house. And the psalmist says, How blessed are they? we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Are you with me? But I want you to see something in the great privilege you have this morning as believers in Christ. It's this. While only the priests and temple officials could take permanent residence in God's house then, through Jesus' blood, come on, we have now been given access into his presence, into the very holy of holies. Because when Jesus died on that cross and he gave up his last breath, that that veil was rent from top to bottom. Saying God has come down and he's also opened the way by his blood. There's no limitations. Something that was only limited to the high priest once a year, we now have privileges to do and he invites us, he says, Hebrews 4.16, come boldly before my throne of grace and mercy in time of need. And we can come boldly not because, get this, we can come boldly not because of anything we've done. Not because we're qualified, come on, not because we had a good time in prayer. Not because we read our Bible every week, every day this week. Not because we got everything right and we didn't mess up this week. Come on. But we come in by the virtue of His blood and what He did in His sacrifice. That's the boldness. See, if it's based on you, there's no boldness. There's fear, there's condemnation, there's guilt, or there's pride. One of the two. One of the four. Whatever it is. But when it's based on what He's done. Come on. Thank you, Jesus, you made a way. Peter calls us, I'm going to remind you, church, he calls us the chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Are you possessed? (laughs) I mean, is God a visitor or is he taking over the house? Lose the house. Lose the house. Amen. So that, but here's the reason for the purpose that we may proclaim his excellencies. We may proclaim his excellencies. And I love when Jesus meets the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She says to him this, she's trying to understand worship. And she goes, Well, you people say that in Jerusalem, in the place where men is the place where men ought to worship. Wait for it. Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And then verse 23 goes on to say, But an hour is coming, and now is. Somebody say, now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks... To be his worshipers. It's no longer about a place. Come on. You can take... The church is not a building. It's a people. The church has left the building. That's what I hope. It's a people who are houses of worship who take that with them wherever they go. And they worship in spirit and truth. The revelation of who Jesus is. He's the way, the truth, the life. Reading on Psalm 84. Oh, man. All right. How, you guys got an extra hour of sleep. You're good, right? Yeah. Woo, I feel the energy this morning. I feel it. All right. Yeah, and we're fasting lunch? That's right. All right. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. You see this journey that they took every year. This they were. It was that to Jerusalem, or twice a year, the joyous company that went up from every corner of the land to the feasts in Jerusalem made the paths ring with their songs as they traveled. Come on, some of you need that on your morning commute. Highways to Zion, that phrase also is translated in whose heart is set on pilgrimage. That speaks to our temporary status in this life that we are on a journey in this life and our destination is Zion, but for us it's the heavenly Jerusalem. Come on. And when you have that as your destination, when you have that as where you're going, then all these temporal things can't grab a hold of you. You can go through it, but you know you're going through it and you're going to have glory. Blessed are those whose strength is in him, I mean, they go from strength to strength. And I want you to see in the path, in the journey of life, right? We need strength along the way. It's like the rest stops that get us through the journey. Those resting places in his presence is where we're renewing our strength as we wait on him. And we're refreshed to go the next leg of the journey. Make that next segment. And we're refreshed in his presence. Strengthened in a way like no other. Each time we encourage each other, each time we come together in in, in community and worship the Lord together, we draw strength from Him. And thirdly, being a house of worship, we are those who carry His presence, a people who carries His presence wherever we go. You see, Valley of Baca, while scholars differ on the exact place of this valley, they generally agree that it was a dry, arid place near Sinai. And it's mostly translated, the Valley of Weeping. Regardless of what road they took, they would go through some dry, arid places before they got to their destination of Jerusalem. And that's a picture of our life, isn't it? As we go through this life, it's guaranteed. In this life, you'll have tribulations and trials. You'll have sorrows. You'll have grief. You'll have loss. But you see... When you carry the presence of the Lord, God can bring a refreshing to those places in your life. God can make something out of those things. And the good news this morning is we pass through. You know, the difference of the presence of the Lord is whether we stay in that place or we pass through. Because in His refreshing, in His strength, He carries us through it. Those things that come in life will either make us bitter or better, but when we carry the presence of the Lord, we can come out better. God will turn all things. He'll work all things together for good because we're called by Him and we're, loved, we love, we're called according to His purpose and we love Him. Amen? He brings transformation to the hard places in our lives. And then in the lives of others. You see, you're going through a valley of Bach and maybe it's someone else's valley and you're walking with them through it. But you have the refreshing of the presence of the Lord to bring them through it. Psalm 3011 says, You have turned for me. And I think this has happened to some people this morning. We need this. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Come on, church. Just as the early rain turns the desert into a spring, so our faith and trust in him will turn adversity into a place of blessing because his presence is with us. Amen. And then he says, they will all appear before God in Zion. See, we're reminded of our destiny and where we're going, that we're going to appear before him. 2 Corinthians 5 says, All of us will appear before him, his throne. But we appear before him when we seek his face and we get in his presence. Can you stand with me, church, this morning? But in closing, read the rest of the psalm. It says, Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day, Get this. I don't know if you've got this in your heart this morning, but I know the Lord wants to get this in us. A love for him and his house. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. Come on. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God, which is where these sons of Korah stood, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. And this really speaks to the lowest place in God's house is better than the most lavish place in this world. My worst day as a Christian is better than my best day with not one. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. You just lift your hands this morning. I just, the Lord's on that. The Lord gives grace and glory. And no good thing, oh Jesus, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you this morning. Can we just praise him? Praise you. We bless you, Jesus. We bless your holy name. We magnify you in this place. Lord, your presence brings perspective. It's our home. Your presence is where we belong. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. I just thank you for fullness this morning of joy. Thank you, Lord, that you are bringing refreshing to those in that valley of Baca, lord that place of weeping going through it this morning i just thank you for your comfort thank you for your grace lord you withhold no good thing from your people you would give us a heart like the psalmist this morning that cries out for the living god lord cries out for the living god lord i pray this morning you would stir within each and every one of us a deep hunger and desire lord let it grow jesus Let us find our satisfaction in you, God. There's so many things we've looked to for satisfaction, but we left empty. But Lord, in you, everything we need for life and godliness is in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, this morning. Come on, just reach for him.